But if you turn the metaphor around, of course, this means we are like sheep. If God is to function like a shepherd to you and me, in other words, if you want to get led and fed, if you want to find green pastures, spiritually speaking, so that your life shall not want, you also have to embrace this other part. That means I must be like sheep. And that's far from flattering. Uh, sheep actually starve, even with green pastures looming nearby. They'll just stay with all the dust and the rocks with nothing to eat. Sheep are short-sighted. Sheep are not smart. They're not wise. And they're tremendously stubborn. So this is a horrendous combination. Philip Keller wrote a book on shepherding. No relationship to pastor, author, very well-known Tim Keller. He offers this insight about what sheep are really like. Quote, our mob mentalities, fears and insecurities, stupidity and stubbornness, self-destructive habits. They, the sheep, require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. If God is to be your shepherd, that also means we must recognize, we must know this about ourselves, and it's far from flattery, that we require endless attention and meticulous care. Just about a month ago, we have an annual tradition. One of our friends is a huge Star Wars fan, so a bunch of middle-aged men get together. We're like trying to not fall asleep before midnight. And we said, hey, let's have dinner first. So we went to this Panini Grill Cafe. And uh, I don't, you know, I love my friends. So I never want to put them on blast. But their names rhyme with Ronnie and Myung. So two of my friends, let's just call them Ronnie and Myung. Ronnie drove us, went to Panini Cafe about five minutes early. We sat down and 7 o'clock came and then about 7.15. And the three of us actually were very, very self-righteous. We were pretty confident. And making fun of all the other middle-aged friends who were showing up late. We started to order our food. Half an hour passed. We're eating, still making fun of all of them. How they're all late. Maybe they lost their way. A full hour passed. We finished our meal. And even one of our other friends texted us a picture of, Where are you guys? I'm here. We were so confident that we had come to the right place. We thought our friend was tricking us by taking a picture of a Yelp review, joking with us, even though he was arriving late, making an excuse that he was not at the restaurant, he was trying to joke with us that he's already there. That's how confident we were. One hour in, Myung starts to look at Yelp reviews of Panini Cafe, and to our horror, we discovered there are a lot of Panini Cafes. (laughs) We were supposed to go to the one in Lisa Viejo. We stopped in the one at Irvine. So the three of us, after a full hour, having finished our meal, show up at the right place. And do you know how we walked in? Do you know how we looked? And do you know how we felt? This is where you get the language. We walked in sheepish. We were sheepish. God, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. That also means... I am like sheep. 
Now, do you know how God can best lead you and feed you? Do you know why God is very good at leading and feeding you? If you want to be led and fed. Do you know why God is so good at it? Because nobody knows you better than God. You don't know you better than God. There is no one else than the one who made you and wants to so care for you that can know you better. He can spot you out of billions, billions and billions and billions. No, it is not a dark, random, insignificant, cold universe we live in. If there is a God who knows you, He can spot you in a split second, running and passing by. He knows it's you. I always get permission and clearance from my young daughters. Uh, They're teenagers now, but Elizabeth used to play soccer. She said she's okay with this illustration. And I remember I would come to random games. I did not grow up playing soccer, so I'm not a very good coach or father in that respect. But game times, I would see her come over at timeouts. And I could hear her voice looking at the coach. Is it snack time? I just, I just, no, 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 Elizabeth, don't do that. Is it snack time? She played for an entire, she never scored a goal. I don't even know she even kicked the ball too many times. At that age, they all run around like a little beehive. But she's always on the outer circle. One time, I saw her wander into the other team's snack time eat their snack, and come back. So adorable. And I, as her father, was never genuinely or remotely tempted to take another kid home. Well, maybe I was remotely tempted. There was that one kid with the gold shoes. He like scored like 10 goals in one game. But anyhow, but I was never genuinely long-term tempted to take another kid home. She's mine. I absolutely adore and love her for the way she is. Here's what God knows about you. He knows everything. Absolutely everything through and through. He knows your intentions. He knows your thoughts. If I sail away to the farthest sea, if I run as far as the east is from the west, even there, God, your spirit is with me. He knows your tendencies. He knows how you react. He knows your words before you say them, even the ones you want to retract. He knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows your insecurities. He knows when you sweat. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what you're haunted by right now. He knows you through and through and through. But do you know why? God knows you. It's so that he could lead and feed you. I know there's a lot of people in this room with bad experiences in the past. I don't want God or a priest or pastor. I don't want anyone to really know me. I know I'm there. So much shame. So much fear. And maybe I could liken it. One of the best parts of marriage is if your spouse begins to really see and discover who you really are. I mean, I'm talking about they can see and smell and feel 
who you really are on your off days, your worst days, on your worst behavior, your filth, or your hypocrisy, your criminality, your addictiveness, the ruin you bring. But if your spouse, after discovering all these things about you, continues to love you, dare I say, your spouse actually loves you better. After knowing all these things about you, loves you still, and loves you maybe greater than before, I tell you, there's nothing more intoxicating in the world than to be so known, naked and exposed, and yet still so loved and accepted. It's one of the miracles and the joys of marriage in which God works his love. And I'm going to tell you, for anyone in this room, you're afraid of God knowing everything about you like a perfect x-ray. Can I tell you, if God is your shepherd and you are his sheep, he only wants to know everything about you so that he can liberate you and love you better. The reason why God does and wants to expose, that why we confess our sin. Do you know why God wants to get in there and know everything about you? It's not so that he could crush you, obliterate you. No, that's not what the Psalm 23 says. It's so he can lead you better, feed you more, love on you more deeply. And to the degree that God is your shepherd, you allow and let him get to know everything about you. He'll heal you like no other. He'll love you like no other. He'll liberate you better than any other. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he leads me and feeds me. And he knows me like no other. And even as he knows Harold like no other, he still leads and feeds and loves. Oh, look at verses 2 and 3. It reads, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verses 2 and 3. You see, God as your shepherd makes us rest. Did you know that God as your shepherd wants and makes you rest when you need to rest? Notice the verbs. Makes me lie down. Leads me beside. Restores. Restores my soul. Philip Keller once again, in describing the characteristics and all the kind of, kind of high-maintenance conditions that sheep have, even for sheep to lie down and rest, four conditions must first be met. The four conditions are, first, fear banished. Second, friction resolved. Third, flies done away with. And fourth, famine overcome. Uh, can I ask you, my friend, this morning, uh, how well do you sleep when... You're deathly afraid. You're having a falling out relationally. Someone hates you right now. You just got finished with the fight. Do you sleep well? Third, flies. Just literally, there's flies, insects, in your cabin or tent, buzzing around. 
Fourth, your stomach growls. Shepherd, know that they have to take care of at least these four conditions for sheep to even begin to lie down and rest. In fact, shepherd have a staff where they gently tap the knees of their sheep to signal to them it is time to rest. Oh, God, my shepherd, God, your shepherd, knowing everything about you, not only wants to lead and feed you and love on you better, but he actually wants you to experience soul-renewing, restoring type of rest. And so many of you, as I come to visit you at a home or lay down in a bed, one of the things I often hear is when you're so sick or you just kind of kind of melted down is, you know, I think one of the things God's trying to teach me is just slow down. I think one of the things God's trying to teach me and tell me is you should prioritize and schedule your life better so that you're just not always running on fumes and your body's just going to fall apart or your emotions are going to fall apart. What do you think that is? A lot of you in this room, yeah, God is going to have to make you rest. Literally bedridden rest. But that is God's way of intervening and coming to make sure because he knows you better than you. And he knows that you are like sheep, stubborn and short-sighted, foolish, trying to take on more than you could possibly handle, trying to take on more jobs that you really can't sustain in the long run, trying to make more money which you really don't need at all, trying to do all these other things in this new year that really aren't from God, but it's just from selfish ambition, your shepherd still comes and he makes us rest. Because he knows that his sheep need security, stillness, silence, and satisfaction for sleep. And even when you and I refuse to follow, oh, Can you even keep count? Can you keep count? How many days and how many years and how many seasons have you and I been obstinate and proud and think we could lead and run our lives better than him? And even when you and I do that, we have a good shepherd who will forsake the 99, come after his one lost sheep, and he will bind up his wounds, carry that sheep upon his shoulders, and bring him him or her back home. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, you really, really messed it up, didn't you? Yeah, everyone told you that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, the Bible and people who love you counseled you and said, no, that is a foolish thing to do. It might end up becoming like this. And even when you are ending up feeling like, oh, I regret and deserve everything that I'm getting, here comes a shepherd all the way seeking you out. One who was wandering and lost and broken and ashamed. And he says, I'm going to take you back into paths of righteousness. You just come with me. A shepherd leads and feeds us. Because he knows us so well. A shepherd makes us rest. And he even restores you back to paths of righteousness. Third. God as a shepherd protects. He protects. You know to reach green pastures. Often sheep have to pass through these narrow ravines. 
And narrow ravines were deemed to be dangerous because that's where thieves would lie in wait for travelers or predatorial animals waiting for dumb sheep, slow sheep, defenseless sheep. And of course, likewise, this is why God as a shepherd over your life and my life and even over the life of Christ Central is guarding and protecting our church from internal threats, internal dangers. There's always internal dangers. Always, always overreacting to hurt and getting vengeful as we just learned from the Heidelberg Catechism. To be so overly angry and vindictive is just a disguised form of murder. There's divisiveness and hate and envy and competition within. There could be doctrinal, biblical swaying where we err, where we start to think we're smarter than this. I'm going to edit this book. There could be all kinds of even scandalous things that happen even within the church. But God is a shepherd. As long as he's a shepherd, is protecting even from internal threats. And then, of course, there's outward threats, outward dangers, trendy, cultural, popular things where, of course, God has to continue to fend off and protect. Otherwise, his church dies. And it seems to me one of the most popular things these days is every movement under the sun, you can kind of put it under this one umbrella. All these movements are self and then fill in the, fill in the blank. It's self something. It's self-defining. Self-gender. Self-role. Self-class. Self-rights. Self-sociality. Self-finances. Self-whatever. As soon as you put self in the middle, as soon as you put self first, I do want to suggest for you to think, you do know that from the start, that's void of God, it's anti-God. And if you don't have God as your shepherd and you don't have him, you don't have life. You can't have a shepherd. And you won't be led and you won't be fed and you you won't be rested and you won't be protected. Oh, look at verse 4 as we go on. God protects his sheep. Verse 4 reads this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. You know, to get to green pastures... You have to go through the ravines and sometimes God has to even lead you down into the valleys. Why is he doing that? Because he likes you to get scared in the valley? Because uh, he wants to abandon you in the valley? Because he'd like for you to just suffer and starve and die in the valley? Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, put it in context. It's so that he can lead you, feed you, give you rest, and continue to protect you. The valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. There are seasons and times uh, I have felt you're going to feel, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying here. All right, a dream is dying. A dream about the way that you thought your kids would be or your marriage would work out. That's excruciatingly painful. Your career is dying. Someone you love is dying. And you feel like you have no control over that. Or physically, medically, you you are dying. You're on the verge of dying. 
This psalmist says, even there, you are with me, and I take comfort because you're with me in that valley. Listen, my friends, God is always leading you. God is always with you, and God is always for you. Always. Always. No, no, no. I I know what you think. I know what you're saying, because I say the same thing. But it doesn't look like God is leading. I don't like how God is leading. I don't feel like God is leading. I can't make sense of the way that God is leading. I don't see and I can't figure out the way that God is leading. And the way that God is leading this time is just so outside my comfort zone. It's so complicated. You're going to tell me it's going to take four years to get that done? No, I want it done in four months. But no matter what you say, if you do know that God is a shepherd who knows better, sees further, is always with you and for you, he is always leading. Always leading, even in the valley. He is always working something out up at the mountains on the other side. You got to get around that corner. You got to keep going through that tunnel. No, you got to keep going forward, though, my friend, because God is always leading. And he's always leading never, never to hurt his sheep, to stand against his sheep, or to abandon and ruin his sheep, or to fall asleep on his sheep, or forget about his sheep, or not care about his sheep, or just kind of make a mistake with his sheep. No, not what, that's not what the psalmist says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, always you are with me. Mm. And how is it that we best experience that God is with me? Oh, it's because of his people. When his people show up, oh, I probably felt and experienced how God shepherds me better inside the hospital room rather than outside a hospital. Remember, a certain pastor came along who I try to emulate, but I just cannot do this for everybody. But he came and he just lingered. He didn't have much to say. In fact, I don't even remember anything he said. He just was there next to me and he sat and sat and he just stayed. And he came one day, two days. I think he came three days in a row at Santa Ana Hospital. And I, as one, am here to tell you, I have no idea where I'd be if that pastor didn't shepherd me at that moment. Because my faith was just being obliterated to shreds. But as the pastor just came and shepherded and stayed by my side, there was an anchor and a reminder, no, God is still with me. You know, so if you consider yourself a spiritual person at all, you got spiritual hungers or instincts, uh, you're going to need spiritual leaders. And in the Bible, spiritual leadership at its core, if you ask me, pastor, what is the number one competency, a number one skill, or the number one task that spiritual leaders have to do? I would tell you it's this, it's shepherding. Vision casting is good. Budget planning is absolutely necessary. Administration and organization, essential. 
But you ask me what is at the heart of a spiritual leader. It is just as God is my shepherd. He asked Peter, are you going to feed and take care of my sheep? Peter, are you going to feed and take care of my sheep? Peter, do you love me? Are you going to feed and take care of my sheep? It's shepherding. And I know you don't know this, but 2019, one of our themes and goals was to cultivate team leaders, cultivate more leaders and offices in the church. And to the glory of God, we added five more elders so that our session, our team of elders is eight now. Godly, wonderful, broken men. We're off to a great start as we meet together. Our small groups, which is the main vehicle of connection and care here at the Life of Christ Central, went from about 35 to 50. We have 50. We had that many more small group leaders. Thank you for volunteering and being willing to be used and committed to this. We're adding to our deacon board and perhaps more ordained deacons this year. And I am thrilled to tell you this might be one of the healthiest, most potent staffs I've ever been able to work with in 12 years here at Christ Central. All by the grace of God. It's not like we're doing something better. It's just that God just provides. And I really am so confident that we're at a stage where I know that God wants to shepherd His church better with multiple hands. So we turn around to 2020. What's this year going to be all about? If last year was cultivating team leaders, this year it's about how do you spiritually lead? What is the content or the nature of spiritual leadership? Well, it's shepherding. It's shepherding. That's why February 1st, as you heard from the announcement, I can't tell you how important this is. On February 1st, free. It's called a vision conference intentionally, meaning it's not just for leaders, it's for all. And the couple of things, at least, that we want to learn together is this, that there is no more consummate, perfect, unfailing, and chief shepherd than Jesus Christ himself. That's ultimately the only reason why churches exist at all. If it were dependent on me or anybody else, this is gone in a second. The ultimate consummate shepherd is Christ Jesus himself. But there's also a second, second reality. That I am aching for every member of our church to finally grasp. It is this. God has sovereignly placed broken and imperfect people, yes. Elders and deacons and officers here at Christ Central. And I firmly believe, and I can't wait to share this with you. You will never, ever, ever find a better shepherd for your soul than the ones who are right next to you. You're never going to find a better shepherd for you. It's not going to be on the internet. Although that person preaches and teaches a lot better than us. Because the ones that are here are the ones that actually can knock on your door and provide a meal, hold your hand, and pray for you. God is my shepherd, leads and feeds me. God is my shepherd because he intimately knows me. He makes me rest. And God is my shepherd protects. And shepherds, as they offer this as just a reflection of what Jesus does for us, I assure you, my friend, you will not find it anywhere else. You won't. Not a personality Enneagram expert. Not a psychological counselor. Not a medical doctor, not an advisor, not a therapist. 
Oh, you, I'm not downplaying any of those features. God will provide so many great things from that. What I am saying, though, is you will never find outside of his church the kind of shepherding that God actually is offering wanting you to have. You know, this uh, New Year, uh, a pretty well-known author, pastor, um, and he calls himself a uh, post-Christian, an ex-Christian. Um, last year announced on Instagram that you know he's had a crisis of faith and no longer believes that the Bible is authoritative and real and that Jesus is actually God and he's the only Savior. Uh, so he has a new message for all of his contacts and friends in 2020. Let me read his conclusion. He's a really gifted, great communicator and writer. Here's what he re- uh, wrote now in 2020. Quote, Hang in there, friend. Take your eyes off of other people. Don't talk down to yourself. You've got this. Hang in there. Don't compare. Don't look at other people. Don't be so harsh and talk down to yourself. You've got it. I'm going to tell you, I believe and agree and love all four messages. They're positive. They're truthful. I think they're helpful. I think they're inspiring. I think they're memorable. I agree all four statements are good and true for you. But there's something missing. There's just something missing. And what's missing, I think, makes the world of a difference. You see, if you don't have God as your shepherd, all you got is you. If you're not into spirituality, if you're not into Christianity, you're not very religious, what you really are saying is this, you've got you and that's enough. You're going to take care of your life on your own. That's fine. We're not here to judge and criticize that. That's absolutely fine. I'm just trying to suggest something to you here. That is not what David said. David could never get to I shall not want without praising and looking to a greater shepherd than himself. Christian people could never, never speak of being blessed or having some peace or joy that passes all understanding without having and following a shepherd greater than themselves. So can I just close with this question? What if God brought along a shepherd who valued the life of his sheep more than himself? For all the people in this room who are suspicious and just so wary of handing your life over to a higher authority or a higher control, what if, what if a shepherd came along who demonstrated to you that he actually loves and cares more about you than even his own life. And this is exactly why Jesus Christ came and he announced, I am the good and chief shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. And even when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, do you know why Jesus can always be with you? Do you know why you do not have to fear any evil? Do you know why his rod and staff comfort you in the valley of the shadow of death? Because in the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus died. 
And he gave up his own life for your life. It's more than a curious or coincidental thing that before one of the most beloved favorite psalms of so many, Psalm 23, is Psalm 22. It comes right before Psalm 23. Can I just read some verses for us? Psalm 22. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravenous and roaring lion. I am poured out. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Why is Psalm 22 there? Who is Psalm 22 talking about? Now let me press it further. Who sang and prayed Psalm 22 himself? If you don't see it, I want you to see it today. Psalm 22 became the psalm of Jesus. This became his He experienced every verse, every word. So that Psalm 23 can become yours. Psalm 22 became his. So Psalm 23 can become ours. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, it's because he wanted to death. And gave up everything. Even his own relationship with his father. So that you now might become sheep. So we conclude with verse 6 in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is how Psalm 23 ends. He begins with, I shall not want. And uh, when I think about my future, when I think about my forever after, goodness and mercy will dominate. That's the only things that are coming after me. Because they follow me. Follow me. The Hebrew word here, follow, is uh, it's aggressive. It's intense. It actually uh, has the imagery of animal predatorial pursuit. Yeah, I like those National Geographic shows. We see that just poor, lonely antelope out in the field. Or that rabbit. <laughs> or that deer. Just grazing along. And then the camera shoots to that ravenous, kind of hungry, skinny looking lion licking its lips. 
And then it shoots the footage of the lion getting up, running in intense pursuit after its prey so that the lion would be satisfied. Here's how the psalmist concludes. Goodness and mercy is an animal predatorial pursuit. It's going to hunt me down. It's going to chase me down. And it's going to get me. And it's going to get me all the days of my life. Why? If God is my shepherd in Jesus. Look, if Jesus becomes your shepherd, karma will not triumph over you. Bad luck is not the story of your life. Haunting consequences from regret or behavior in the past, although those things do need to be paid, will not dominate all the days of your life. You know what will dominate? Do you know what will pursue? Do you know what will chase you down? If God and Jesus is your shepherd, not only shall you not want, but here's your future, goodness and mercy. Only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm. But we thank you most of all for Jesus who laid himself down in the valley, laid himself down to death so that we might have life abundant and full and forever and we will not have to want. So right here, right now, O Lord, by your spirit, to Jesus we come. To Jesus we lay down our lives. To Jesus we want to trust. And it's to Jesus, only to him, we want to follow all the days of our lives. Can I give you just a couple moments to pray? Pray with me. Pray with me. Follow Jesus as your shepherd. You shall not want, and goodness and mercy will follow you. Let's pray.